Welcome to the Black and White Podcast, where we seek to filter the gray world around us through God's Word with radical grace, raw truth, and real hope. I'm Denise Pass, and this month we have been discussing the role women play in our culture, and now we turn to understand the worth of women according to God. With me today are authors Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker to share on their book, Worthy, Celebrating the Value of Women. Elise holds a certificate in biblical counseling from CCEF in San Diego and an MA in biblical counseling from Trinity Theological Seminary. She has authored 23 books on daily living and the Christian life. Elise loves to proclaim the good news of the gospel and is a frequent speaker at women's conferences. She's been married for over 40 years and has three adult children and six really adorable grandchildren. I'm sure she's not biased on that either. (laughs) Along with her husband, Phil, Elise attends Grace Bible Church in Escondido, California. Eric Shoemaker is a pastor, songwriter, and author whose work has been featured by the Gospel Coalition and elsewhere. He has a BA in communications and an MDiv from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Eric and his wife, Jenny, have five children and live in Iowa. Welcome, you guys, and thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Denise. It's good to be here. Thank you, Denise. Well, it's a joy. And Elise and Eric, I am so excited to dive into your book with you here. I believe God will use your words to heal the ache in Mm. women's hearts Mm. who want to be a part of spreading the gospel and just don't know what that looks like biblically. The scripture for this episode is taken from Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrie. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So I'm studying at Liberty University for my master's degree in biblical exposition, and these verses were ones I recently came upon in a discussion about the role of women in the church. And I honestly had never really noticed before the significant role that Phoebe played in the sharing of Paul's message in the book of Romans and in the church at Sincrie. I noticed that they are the first verses we come across in your book as well. Can you share on this as well as why you wrote this book? Uh, sure, we're we're really thankful um, for this time, Denise. And yeah, um, I'm <laughs> I'm really thankful that Paul wrote Romans the way he did, and that he used Phoebe like he did. And you know, sometimes I think it's easy for us to think, well, Phoebe was just sort of like a mailman or something, you know. She just, she, you know, Paul just, you know, okay, Phoebe's hanging around. She's got nothing to do. I'm just going to give her this letter and, you know, send her off to Rome. Uh, this, those few verses that you just read are so countercultural and really ought to shock us. Um, considering the time in which Paul was writing and, first of all, the danger of uh, what it would mean for Phoebe to travel to Rome Perhaps she was traveling with other people. She was probably on business already. But to send someone with a letter like that uh, didn't mean that she just, you know, figured out who the person was, where she should drop off the letter, and then she left. Uh, What that means is that she, at the very least, uh, was there and was part of the congregation as they read the letter. It's generally assumed, although some people disagree, 
It's generally assumed that she was the person who read the letter to the congregation that was congregations, I should say, that were meeting in Rome. Of course, they were just meeting in people's homes and not everyone was literate. And so she would have been the person who probably read the letter aloud to the churches and and because of that uh, was probably asked questions. You know, uh, when Paul says X in, uh, you know, the middle of the letter, what do you think Paul meant when he said that? So she was uh, at the very least there when they read it, read the letter. She probably read the letter aloud uh, uh, and probably answered questions from it. Also, of course, you know, he calls her um, a, a deacon. The word servant there, of course, is is the word we use for deacon. And, you know, we shouldn't automatically assume that the word deacon then was used in the same word we're using it now. Uh, it meant a, a person who was a servant of the church, uh, someone who had uh, been called by the church to be a servant. And then that word patron there is really interesting as well. Because in the Greco-Roman world, patronage was, um, was a huge big deal. And there are a lot of women uh, that are referred to as patrons. In other words, there are people who would be benefactors, people who in a city would, um, would look out for people who needed help. And if a person was a patron, you would owe that person uh, if if she was your patron, you would owe that person respect and deference because she would be a person who would be uh, providing for you financially and protecting you legally. So for Paul to call Phoebe a patron of many and of himself, that's what he says. She's a patron of many and of himself. Then uh, those are very important words that he's using and it's easy, again, you know, Denise, for us to just take that passage and say, well, you know, she just functioned as the post person <laughs> for the probably most important letter that was ever written in the history of the world. Uh, no, actually, she was far more than that. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Elise. That, you know, the truth you both share right off the bat in chapter one is such a beautiful place to start. You state in your book that value is intrinsically tied to the reputation of the one who created the peace. Women and men have worth because we bear the image of God. You discuss the worthlessness that people feel. I wrote a song called You Are Worthy a few years ago, and when I was writing this song, God impressed on my heart that people struggle with their worth because they're trying to find their worth apart from Him. It is when we declare his worth that we find ours. Still, people vastly struggle with their worth. And in particular, women, I think, feel less than. I, I think I heard you guys wrote a song about women's worth as well that goes with this book. Is that the case? That's true. Yeah, we, uh, we wrote a song called Worthy that celebrates uh, what God has done in the creation of women and their redemption, uh, praising him for his worth and how it transfers to us. Awesome. Well, I'm going to include a link to that song so you all can hear that. And uh, so what do you recommend to help women believe and accept their worth and to live like they have worth? 
Well, I think first of all, uh, I would recommend read the Bible and uh, <laughs> believe the gospel. And that's what we're hoping happens with Worthy. We want to drive people back to the Word of God to see yes. what He says in it about women. And, uh, and you know, just, just like you were saying earlier about Phoebe, that's one of those passages that we just don't notice. And uh, one of the things that I was helped with in writing this book was just seeing how integral women were in the story of redemption and, and them just, and that's one of the responses of our readers too, that women are just popping out of the scripture as they, as they go back and read it. And you know, at the very start in chapter one of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, God creates man and woman in his image. Both of them together are in his image, in his likeness, and together they are to exercise dominion over the face of the earth. And that is just huge. It, it says, mm-hmm. first of all, that women are created in the image of God. They're created to represent him and image forth his glory in the world. And um, just like a painting has value because Rembrandt painted it, uh, men and women have value because God made them in his image. But it's more than merely being made in his image. There's a task that we're given to subdue and exercise dominion over the face of the earth. And mm-hmm. I think it's easy to read the storyline of the Bible as a string of heroic men, men of faith, uh, who have carried along the story of redemption until Jesus arrives. And I think, you know, as we think about the promise that uh, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That is such interesting terminology because God could have said to the serpent, one day a son will be born and crush your head. But he said, seed of the woman. Mm. And I'm convinced that as we look at the story of the Old Testament, we see many times where the line of that promised seed is rescued by brave women of faith who who act in courageous ways uh, when that line is facing extinction, so to speak. And, and when the Redeemer gets here, we see all through the life of Christ that he not only values women and treats them as fully human beings who have worth, they're included in his ministry. Uh, you know, there's a band of women that follow him around like Phoebe supported Paul, uh, out of their own means, they supported him. Women are with him from beginning to end in the Gospels. And after his death and resurrection, as the church is established, we see women like Phoebe and others who Paul is constantly naming as his partners in ministry, and they are integral in the fulfilling of the Great Commission as well. Mm, so good. And even as you just shared at the beginning there, it's just getting back into the Word of God. But a lot of times people come with their presuppositions, their biases, mm-hmm. maybe even their fears. You know, this is what they've always thought about something instead of with fresh eyes saying, God, what does what your Word say here? about the role of women. Uh, Eric, I believe that this book, the concept for this book came from you originally uh, putting on Twitter a list of firsts about women in the Bible. Can you share a little bit about that list? Yeah. So uh, I saw a tweet that was uh, talking about how the first 
deacons, or at least the proto-deacons in Acts 6, were appointed because women were being neglected. These widows were being passed over Mm -hmm. in the distribution of bread. And I thought, well, I wonder what other places women are the cause of something, the first to do something. And I just started flipping through the Bible and uh, finding these places where uh, women were uh, the first to make a confession of faith and the first to hear or the first a certain thing or the first to name God, uh, give God a name. And uh, so I, I put out a string of 20 or so tweets and uh, the Gospel Coalition asked me to write an article about it. And so I turned that into an article and uh, then Elise had read that and invited me on her family's podcast, The Front Porch with the Fitzes. And uh, she said, you should turn this into a book. And I said, you should write it with me. And uh, here we are. Mm. Wonderful. I love that story. You know, I would like to include a link for that article as well. So maybe after our call here, we will do that. Um, So I loved your analogy about listening in stereo and how the voices of men and women were meant to be heard together. There are two key questions you bring up that you both will be discussing in your book. Where is the value of women seen in the Bible? And seeing the value of women there, how do we celebrate it? Your book explores the value or worth of women in creation, in the fall, in the promise, in Israel's history, law, worship, and wisdom, and in Jesus's birth, life, and ministry, as well as his death and resurrection. You also explore the worth of women in the church and in the 21st century. Can you share on the significance of women's worth in creation first here today? Yeah, I'll go ahead and answer that. Um, like I was saying earlier, uh, we see in creation that women uh, were created in the image of God to exercise authority over the earth uh, with her male counterpart, man. And when we zoom in in chapter two on the, the creation of the woman in particular, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, Adam is created Uh, He's put in the garden, all the animals are brought to him and he names them, but there's not a helper fit for him. And then the Lord causes him to go into a sleep and scoops out some of his flesh and bone and creates this woman and presents her to him as his helper. And what's interesting there is that Hebrew word azer is the word for helper. Most of the time that's used in the Old Testament, it's used of the Lord. Yeah, the Lord is the helper of Israel. And so right off the bat, just acknowledging that, we see that helper does not mean a subordinate or someone who is less in value. We would never say that about the Lord. Uh, in fact, the idea of a helper um, doesn't imply anything about a weakness or an insufficiency in the helper. It, it only implies that the one who is helped needs the help. Uh, this is not like, you know, when you have your child or your grandchild in the in the wood shop or in the kitchen as your little helper and things actually take longer to get done. Uh, <laughs> it, this is this is a as as one author puts it a um an, a blessed alliance. It's a necessary alliance. It is absolutely not good. It's bad for man to be alone. Uh, he needs this helper. And Adam recognizes it in creation. You know, he rejoices and says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And that's an acknowledgement that uh, she's not like the animals. Uh, the animals are not human. <laughs> and what he's saying in that poetic exclamation, that really the first song in the Bible is, 
she is the same as me. Uh, she's a human being. She's my equal. And uh, that's the first thing that we should think about when we think about men and women, that they are the same flesh and blood. Um, mm -hmm. And we have more in common than we have different about each other. Mm, beautiful. You know, your chapter on the worth of women at the fall really clears up some misconceptions that have gone on, I think, for several millennia. These misconceptions have greatly hurt both men and women and the relationship that they can have. So wasn't it all Eve's fault? <laughs> well, Adam thought so. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting um, when you actually read the passage. Um, the Bible tells us that, yes, Eve, Eve was uh, deceived uh, by Satan's words, but the passage tells us that Adam was with her. And um, basically, it's it, the trope that we hear all the time is, well, Eve was deceived, therefore women are uh, easily deceived. Therefore, you know, the way they would look at the Bible or what they might have to say about the Bible, it should always be suspect. But that's not actually what Scripture says. Actually, what Scripture says is that, yes, Eve was deceived by the serpent in his cunning. However, Adam wasn't deceived. Adam simply decided to obey. So how that makes Eve somehow uh, more suspect than Adam, I honestly can't figure out. But the really wonderful thing about the whole, the whole passage is that when God comes to them after the fall, uh, yes, he recognizes Eve as having fallen, but immediately on the heels of uh, the recognition of what she has done, he promises to use her. You know, he doesn't say, mm -hmm. "Well, you know, you're a you're a you're a person who's deceived, so therefore, you know, uh, you're kind of out." No, actually, what he says is that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And those words, the seed of the woman, that's really shocking language there um, because we don't usually think about women in those terms. Mm. But what he's saying is, yes, there, there has been a fall. And yes, you, you were seduced by Satan. You know, actually, we should think about Satan being the, the seducer, not women. Uh, you were seduced uh, by Satan. However, I'm going to redeem this, and I use women, even women who have times of struggle and weakness, I will use them. And he promises to use Eve in the same way, Denise, that he promises to use uh, all women today, all believing women today. Even though we struggle and we fail and sometimes we don't see things right or we're, uh, you know, we're even perhaps seduced or deceived by sin, God still is powerful enough to use us and redeem us. Um, it doesn't all depend on our own ability to always think exactly perfectly about everything because the truth is that none of us do. Mm, so very true. Well, I hate to cut this conversation, but we're going to continue it next week and there's so much to cover. Thank you both for being on today. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thanks for having us. My pleasure. So next week, we're going to continue this discussion, Women, Finding Your Place and Worth in This World. Leave a comment to be entered to receive a copy of Worthy. You can find Elise and Eric on their respective websites, www.elisefitzpatrick.com and www.emshoemaker.com. And I'll have those links as well on the show notes. The raw truth is that our worth does not come from man, but from God alone. The radical grace is when we feel unworthy, God reminds us of our worth that can never be taken away. And the real hope is when women and men declare the greatness of our God together, the world sees the complete image of God. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast, where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of truth. 